Hello and welcome to Off Grid, everybody. We have solved a cryptic crossword, but you don't have to, because we've already looked at it and we've picked out our three favourite clues, which we'll explain to you a little bit later, and our three favourite words from the grid, which are going to give us, hopefully, some interesting topics to talk about. And also, we'll stick a link to the one that we did in the show notes so that you can go off and wrestle with it if you so wish. On this occasion, it was Paul in The Guardian on Thursday the 23rd of September 2021, which was their puzzle number 28558. On the other hand, as Void says, if the prospect of doing the Paul brings you out in a cold sweat, don't panic. Just sit back and listen to us wittering on instead. And that's, as always, me, Dave. And me, Void, like the man just said. As well as telling you about those clues and our favourite words, we are going to have a short general knowledge quiz about or inspired by some words in the puzzle, courtesy of General Knowledge. Hello, General. How are you doing today? Hello. I'm doing great, and it's great to be on your show. It's great to have you, as ever. Right, so we told you we were going to tell you our favourite clues, and we will. General, what was your favourite clue, please? My favourite clue was um, Nine Across, Hopeful Hellfire, Ultimately denied in Eve's reluctance to partake of forbidden fruit. Nine letters, and there's a question mark as well. And Dave? And mine was one down, which was straight punch catching back of Fulham supporter. And that's a four-letter word. What about yours? I went for six down, which is... Name Welsh artist and English pop star. Four letters. If you're not a solver listener, don't panic, don't worry. We are going to explain how these clues work to you in a little bit. Uh, If you are a solver, you might like to have a think about that in the back of your mind. But meanwhile, we are going to carry on and ask you, General, to tell us what word in the puzzle gave you inspiration to chat about something. Uh, I picked out Grisham. And talking about Grisham's uh, legal thrillers, the very first time I came across the name was um, not from his first book, but from the second book, Firm, which was made into a movie, right, with Tom Cruise and so on. So that was actually much more popular. And then I looked up the author. And then I found his first book, which was A Time to Kill. And I loved that book. Actually, that book was far superior. It was a really good book. But I read about it. And it seems he just couldn't sell that book at all. He was rejected like 30 times when he actually wrote the book. And uh, he ended up buying like all uh, first-time authors do. Apparently, John Grisham went and bought 1,000 copies of the book so that he could actually try and sell that. And then happened. And even as, you know, he was trying to do all of this, he was also writing the second book, which was Firm. And he happened to sell that to the movie company and made quite a fortune uh, doing that. And then there was no looking back for him. So that's like, uh, I mean, a word of encouragement for all authors, I guess, saying, you know, don't give up for the first. I mean, after that, of course, he was a very prolific author. He's written so many books. But then um, it's a shame that the first book, which I thought was much better than the second book for, uh, didn't sell at all initially. And then, of course, it was later made into a movie and, so on so that's them yeah 
I think it's quite a common story that authors get a, a book rejected from uh, loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of publishers and then have a massive success. It's, it's a story it's, I've heard about a... lots of uh, different authors, okay. I think. But then again, you don't hear the stories about the authors who just get rejected and rejected and rejected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, then either just keep getting rejected from everybody or give up. Yeah. 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 I think I'm the same. I first heard of John Grisham via the, uh, the, the first film. Uh, yeah. Firm. Um, I've never actually read any of his, not for any particular reason. I suppose I've just sort of had the impression that they were, uh, what do you call them? Airport novel style pot boilers. Um, but uh, <laughs> you're, you're recommending them, yes. are you, General? Well, this was from me uh, many years ago. So, you know, when I started reading it, it's uh, I haven't actually gone back and read any of those in very recent past. But uh, The Innocent Man is out there in, in uh, Netflix now. It's uh, his docu-series and he's, he's big on um, uh, no to capital punishment and so on. So he's been writing a lot of books on those lines as well. And... Um, that, that probably is something that uh, I'm planning to check out, actually. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll have to give one a go then. A Time to Kill is good, yeah. Okay. Okay, Dave, take us to your clue and how it works. Yeah, if you remember, it was straight punch catching back of Fulham supporter, four letters. Now, it's a surface suggestion of football hooligan violence, something that Fulham were traditionally known for in the past I think but if you skip over that this is a container clue and the back of Fulham just refers to the letter M caught by which is to say put inside the straight punch which is a jab so M inside jab gives you jam with a silent B which is a supporter in the sense of an upright beam that supports the lintel of a door or a window and I think I often pick out clues where the setter is using a common crosswordies kind of word, but not with its most common meaning. So to have it indicate a door jam instead was quite nice. Void, what caught your eye in the puzzle? I liked the two-word entry in the title, book title. And that reminded me of a piece of art that I'd seen a picture of uh, which I'll come back to later. But what I would like to do now is read out a, a passage of text to you. And I would like you to interrupt me whenever you think you hear a book title. Right. Okay. 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 So the, uh, I, I think the piece of text will be reasonably familiar to you. So here we go. To be... Or not to be? That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against well, the sea of troubles. Yeah. I oppose. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's probably been three or four already, but uh, I, I can't imagine. Jeffrey Archer is <laughs> likely to be in this uh, in this soliloquy somewhere. But I suspect there's definitely something called outrageous fortune um, amongst amongst others. 
That would be my guess. Ding. I, we've we've yes. probably missed a few already, but I'm, I'm going to plump for that one. Well, Outrageous Fortune, you're correct. There is a, a book of the play, Outrageous Fortune, by Ben Travers. There's another title by Rose Franken, and there are 17 other works, all called Outrageous Fortune. I have a full list of them, but I won't bore wow. you all with them. I mean, to be or not to be was a Mel Brooks film, so whether or not there was a book of the screenplay or anything like that. That's true. I don't have Mel Brooks on my list, but for to be or not to be, that is the question, or just to be or not to be. Uh, I have Evangeline Booth, Pierre van der Boncoeur, and 20 other books there. Um, General, you mentioned Jeffrey Archer. I think he's got a book called A Quiver Full of Arrows. So not quite um, Slings and Arrows. But Slings and Arrows, that is one, by David Lloyd George, and there are eight other books with that title. Right. Wow. And the one one other one you didn't uh, pick up on so far was A Sea of Troubles by Anthony Ireland or Margaret Dura or three other ones. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So quite a few already. So. Carry on. Keep going. And by opposing, end them. To die, to sleep, no more. And by asleep, to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to, tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that I sleep think of death... They'll have another one. I, think, I, I think perchance to dream is definitely some, something... Well, we have To Sleep Perchance to Kill by L.V. Sims, and then also Perchance to Dream is by Robert B. Parker, who is a detective novelist, I think. And Perchance oh, yes, to Dream. That, by... that was definitely what I was thinking of. Yes, mm. absolutely. Or, yeah. or perhaps you were thinking of Perchance to Dream by Ivan Novello, who wrote the book of the musical of that name, oh. or maybe one of the 15 other titles of Perchance to Dream. <laughs> Uh, now, we also wow. had, <laughs> uh, I'll go quite quickly, we also had To Sleep No More. Isn't there like a copyright uh, issue if they have the same name? Well, possibly if they were quoting a newer work that was still under copyright, but because Shakespeare is well past copyright, I think any is fair game for I'm, anyone. I'm saying in terms of book titles, if the can you keep using the same book title any number of times? I guess you can. You're saying there are 15 books of the same, yeah. So. I guess you can. I mean, I mean, uh, Owen Culfer and Jeremy Clarkson have both written a book called And Another Thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, so there was uh, To Sleep No More by Ross Angel or Diana Lampett, Natural Shocks by Richard G. Stern, Flesh is Air by Lincoln Kirstein, and yeah, that's everything up to date. So basically, every word in the death. you know <laughs> in your passage. <laughs> are there any sections of this of this quote that aren't book titles? Because if they are, tell us awesome. and we'll write one. We'll Just write the articles, one. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, there there are plenty of scopes. There there are some that I've uh, underlined as possibilities that could, that could definitely be book titles. I don't know how far... This is quite a long quote, really, but I'll carry on a little bit further. 
For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's well, the what dreams may what come is certainly a film. Uh, yeah, I've got it as a book. By... What about the mortal coil? That sounds like a possible book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> both of those. Uh, what dreams may come by Cynthia Asquith and Gertrude Atherton and five others. This mortal coil. Oh, also by Cynthia Asquith and three other people. And then a couple of more famous ones, or more famous authors. Aldous Huxley wrote Mortal Coils, and D.H. Lawrence wrote a short story called The Mortal Coil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I maybe I won't carry on through the <laughs> whole thing, because there's so many of them. Uh, the Whips of Time by Arabella Keneally, Pangs of Love, uh, The Law's Delay, Insolence of Office, With a Bear Bodkin, Something After Death, Undiscovered Country, which is uh, a subtitle of a Star Trek film, as well as lots of books. It certainly is, yes. <laughs> From Who's Born, No Traveller Returns, Pale Cast, Enterprises of Pith and Great Mo- of Great Pith and Moment, would you believe? The Name of Action. Well, that, that and- ought to be a Star Trek film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and All My Sins Remembered, all of those have all been... Uh, pilfered from Shakespeare's, uh, from Hamlet's soliloquy. But my favourite one in there is Who Would Fardles Bear, which is the name of the novel written by Ed Reardon in the Radio 4 comedy show Ed Reardon's Week. So a fictional one. Ed Reardon's Um, Week. Probably the the most ridiculous quote he could pick from there, I think. From that, yes. But yeah, Very good. I should um, I should credit Barbara Poole, uh, whose website barbarapool.com did a lot of the hard work for me here. She's got a list of loads and loads of book titles taken from Shakespeare, and there are just uh, squillions of them, as you can imagine. So uh, do feel free to go and, and check out her website. And the artwork I mentioned, uh, now in researching, I tried to look it up again, but not knowing the name of the uh, artist, uh, I was just typing in book titles, quotes from Hamlet, and I just kept finding the same stuff I've just been reading. But the piece of work was the artist had made up a load of books with book titles all taken from Hamlet's soliloquy. So it was basically Hamlet's soliloquy in a picture of a bookshelf. Right. Along the wow, okay. And the artist had actually made the the books in question and or at least the covers for them, and, right. and printed them themselves. Uh, you could tell that because a lot of them were in the same typeface. Uh, <laughs> tusk! <laughs> yeah, but if you are thinking of writing a book and nicking a title from Shakespeare, then maybe check out to see if anyone has, has done it before. I mean, there are a few in here which only one person <laughs> has used so far as far as i can tell but yeah there's plenty of shakespeare to go around everyone sure very good and that fits in because i i've got a, a crossword grid half written i've kind of got the the answers done and not the clues written with some kind of a shakespearean theme to it so uh so keep your eyes out for that in the upcoming months will do okay we will all right uh, General, would you like to reread your favourite clue and explain how it works to us now, please? My clue is um, nine across, and that was 
hopeful hellfire ultimately denied in Eve's reluctance to partake of forbidden fruit. So when I read it, uh, it's a, the type of clue, it's a shirad clue and there's a deletion element there. So hopeful hellfire sounded a little bit odd. So I figured that hopeful must therefore be the definition. Ultimately, here is a last letter indicator. So hellfire ultimately is basically indicating the letter E and it is denied is indicating that it's a deletion of E from Eve's reluctance to partake of forbidden fruit. So forbidden fruit is obviously the apple and you take the E out, it becomes AAPL apple, which sounds almost like the um, NASDAQ ticker of the Apple stock. But AAPL yeah. uh, is that, this is APPL and Eve's reluctance to partake. So apple, I can't which is applicant, and applicant is hopeful. So that was quite quite a lot of uh, things happening. There are so many layers to it. Yeah. And I think um, that's probably why I liked it, because there was a penny drop moment when you figure that, you know, Eve's reluctance is apple I can't, which is actually applicant. So that's why I liked it. Yeah, the, the question mark at the end of that clue was doing quite a lot of work, I felt, for uh, <laughs> yeah. indicating a, a fanciful phrase that Eve might say. Apple, I can't. Oh, I can't. <laughs> yeah, and there's also the fact that you know you naturally read hopeful as an adjective, whereas gotcha. in this instance it's being used in its noun sense, noun. which is also yeah. less common. Yeah, good clue. Yeah, it it made me chuckle eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Dave, where did you go from the puzzle? I went to twenty across, which was Codex. Now. Listeners who've caught a few episodes will remember this word has cropped up in conversation at least before when the general was discussing crossword set of pseudonyms um, and how that was the name picked by the Morse author, Colin Dexter. And we did have a whole discussion about the Morse code alphabet. I sort of wonder if dash dot dot dash would make a legitimate clue for code X. <laughs> needs, needs some work anyway I did a bit of etymological delving um, as is my wont just to confirm first of all what codex really means uh, in the clue Paul defined it as old manuscript but I think the point is that really it's a bound manuscript the codex was the first version of what we would now recognise as a book separate pages bound at one side and held between stiff cover boards, as opposed to a scroll and all those kind of earlier kinds of documents. So I was looking at the the uh, dictionary entries for it and so on. It's a variant spelling of the Latin caudex, C-A-U-D-E-X, which originally meant a tree trunk uh, and then a block oh. of wood and eventually a book. Whether that's because the book is shaped like the block of wood or possibly the trans transfer of meaning because the cover boards were originally blocks of wood. That seems quite plausible. Oh, I was thinking or possibly papers made of wood, but then they, this might have might go back so far as to predate paper and be uh, animal skins. So perhaps not. Yes, yeah, uh, parchment or possibly even, I mean, there, there were... There were papyrus ones very early on, yeah. But interestingly, I was looking... The word book itself 
is commonly thought to derive from the same old Germanic source as beech, as in the beech tree. Oh, yeah. Um, although, if you look in the OED, there's a very long etymological note where people are uncertain about that and some people are disputing it and so on. But then you think about the other Latin word for book, liber, which obviously gives us library and things like that. That originally meant, um, well, it's the word bast, B A S T, which is the inner bark of a tree. And that's what liber originally meant. So whenever people humorously refer to print books as the dead tree version of something, there's so many literal truths to that with the whole history of all the words to do with books literally coming from words for trees and bits of trees. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I was just going to have a quick aside about the letter X as it appears at the end of Codex. Because I've you do your little bits of research and you spot something that you kind of go, Oh, A, this is interesting, and B, it links into things we've talked about before. So I was talking about printers and printing history and so on in an, in an earlier episode, um, and this kind of yeah. links into that. Right, in crosswords, the letter X is often clued, uh, as are Y and Z, as an unknown, right? Uh-huh. Well, it's referring to its use in maths to stand for unknown quantities. Yeah. yeah? Yes. Algebra. Now, it's, yeah, it's Descartes, he of the I think, therefore I am fame, who we have to thank for that. Apparently, he introduced that usage in his 1637 work, La Geometrie, along with using A, B, and C to represent constants. And it may have occurred to you at some point in your life to wonder why the first unknown value, the one you use if you've only got one unknown in your equation, why that is X and not, say, Z. Yeah. Okay. I've never thought about it. Why not? Yeah. Why not start at the end of the alphabet and work inwards? Why would you start three in from the end? Right. Yeah. Um, and the answer to that, as far as I can see, is it turns out this is another one of those things that you blame the printers for, because in his manuscript, Descartes did indeed have Z as the first unknown, because he was mirroring starting at A with the constants and starting at Z with the with the unknowns. And then he sent it to the to the printers and his typesetters who were used to typesetting French text rather than mathematical stuff. Obviously, this was in the type of time of lead type, so physical pieces of, of, of characters. The letter Z is a lot more common than X in French. So they kept finding themselves running out of Zs when typesetting his equations. So they just hadn't got enough. So they wrote to him and said, basically, does it particularly matter which character is used in these equations when there's only one or two unknowns? And he basically wrote, and could they use X instead? Because they got loads of those left over. <laughs> and he basically wrote back and said, yeah, that's fine, go ahead. And it's stuck ever since. So it's, just because of what the typesetters had got in their in their typecase, that we've ended up using X as the as the standard variable. I'm now imagining a horrendous case of find and replace all going wrong in this instance. <laughs> oh dear, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's you know. 
the fact that they would have to be doing that manually in those days and the the way find and replace alls go, do go wrong uh, in our computer age. I remember one time when I used to work at a publisher's and we had a corrected article proof back from our typesetters and I was just leafing through it looking at some author amends and in the middle of a word there was the word beginning with a capital P pro the United States and I thought what pro the United States what the hell is that and it took me a moment to work out that they had cited an author whose name was Prusak P-R-U-S-A-K and somewhere along the line they had decided that they weren't going to use the abbreviation USA and they were going to spell out the United States in full and they had just done a global replace without checking each occurrence as they went through Um, and so poor old uh, Mr Prusak had had his name entirely mangled (laughs) well spotted Uh, the 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 wonders of computer typesetting but i think uh, without a computer probably people make fewer mistakes because if they can't reverse so easily then they take more care when they do it the first time right i mean well yeah uh, if you, and, and if you're doing it manually you're doing it more methodically and not just trusting that something else is going to do it for you absolutely yeah void what was your clue again I picked six down as my favourite clue, and that was name Welsh artist and English pop star. And name was the definition here. And you might think, well, that could be almost anything. And, well, that's true if you're looking for not a word that means the same as the word name, but a person's name. There are a lot of people's names. And I think that is why Paul decided to give us two alternative definitions. Welsh artist was one and English pop star was another. So um, I suppose you could call that highbrow and lowbrow, the English pop star being Elton John and the Welsh artist I'm saying is Gwen John. I think you're probably right there, yes. uh, I think she had a brother who did stuff as well. But hey, let's say it was Gwen. But yeah, I I thought that was a nice, simple double or triple definition there. And it was fair, not just expecting you to come up with any old name, but giving you a chance to actually get there. Yeah. All right, I think it's time for the general knowledge quiz. Uh, General, what have you got for us? My first question is actually inspired by the team which is John here, and uh, it reminded me of uh, John Cleese, uh, the famous actor, a comedian. And John Cleese also was uh, starred in a few James Bond movies. I'm sure uh, you might be familiar with that. Now, the interesting thing is that when he first made his appearance, his character was referred to by a particular letter of the alphabet in the first movie that he ever came. And in the second movie that he came, it was referred to by another alphabet, which is the more common letter that's used for that particular role. Now, do you know these two movies that 
you know, the two movies in which the first one and the second one. And also the reason, they say that the reason it was changed eventually is, uh, has got something to do with Pierce Brosnan and uh, he's somewhat responsible for it. Would you know what? What is the reason why? The two letters are pretty easy. I think you can guess it. And then maybe the reason you can write well, it Well, I think the, 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 one of the letters is, is the most obvious one, and that's Q. That's right. Because John Cleese was playing, if I remember rightly, the apprentice to uh, Desmond Llewellyn's Q character in that's the right. first film he appeared in. Oh, now I can't remember Great. which film is which. Have you? Do you know which film is which, Dave? Uh, Brosnan's first was that Golden Eye. I'm not sure. It's not Golden Eye. It's not Golden Eye. Um, certainly, Cleese was playing that character in uh, Die Another Day. Die Another Day is right. That's that's where. That's the one with the invisible cloaking device on the on the Aston Martin, where everybody just kind of went, "You've gone too far now." That's silly. <laughs> um, I, I, I presume that Q, as a as an as a character name, comes from the fact that he's the quartermaster, doesn't it? I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. and so it's Q is correct, and uh, it's in um, Die Another Day, but he comes. Before, like Void said, as the apprentice to Q in another and at that movie. point, he was called R, I think, wasn't he? Yes, he was called R That's because it, yeah. I mean, Vaughn <laughs> actually says, So, what comes after Q? Uh, is that R? He makes a joke, and you know, that's supposed to be so. R becomes Q, and there's an interesting reason why they say the change happens. That is the official reason, which is supposed to be that you guys want to guess, or you know, uh, shall I answer it? The last part. Why? Why do you think they made the change? Uh, do you mean the change? Why of, did the of Q they, to R? Yeah, from R to Q. Yeah. So they first had him as R, and then they made it Q. Well, I pre- I presume because the Desmond Reading character was retired. It's also and you, apparently and stepped up. Yeah, it's also apparently because with Brosnan's Irish accent, uh, the R didn't sound quite English. So he said he was actually happy that now it's going to be called Q. Uh, I mean, the official reason is that uh, they said, you know, he was an interloper and he didn't make the cut. So till he was he made the cut, they didn't make him Q, apparently. But then, you know, once uh, he, he was the approved quartermaster, they called him Q. That's the official reason. And apparently it's also because of Brosnan's Irish accent versus the, so the R sounded a little bit not like the English version of R. So ah, I thought that was an interesting okay. aside to it. So, yeah, it's so nice. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to work out what that sound would be now. Ah. Maybe I won't. <laughs> Maybe more like R. <laughs> I, I don't think ah. we're allowed to do foreign accents anymore. <laughs> A more piratical R, perhaps. Very good. What's next? So my second question is inspired by um, Epe. Do you know which country won the men's team Epe event in the Tokyo Olympics? Oh, I did watch some of the Olympics and the Paralympics. Um, uh, Team event. And we were talking about fencing events only a few weeks ago, weren't we? 
we were talking about the different fencing disciplines. I I'm afraid wonder. I didn't watch any. So it's down to you, Void. China? No. No. Okay. Mm. Um, it wasn't a favorite to win. Apparently, it was ranked eight in that, and then you know uh, the country that won. And um, okay. is it going to be somebody completely unexpected? So am I in the right continent? Yeah, you are in the in the right continent. Yes. Okay. So I'm trying to remember. I mean, it could be one of the. One of the stands, perhaps. Um, I don't remember any, seeing any Japanese fence. I'm close with yeah. the stands. Okay. Um, it's uh, Japan, yes. It's, uh, oh, it was oh. Japan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So apparently they were ranked eight, and then but they won, and they beat uh, the Russian Olympic Committee to actually uh, take the title on that one. The third question was uh, inspired by. Um, Archimedes, and um, that's an entry that actually, if you look at the crossing for that, it crosses with early bath, which I thought was kind of funny, uh, considering Eureka. Oh. But <laughs> oh yes, yeah, he was taking an early bath. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that's not my question. My question is, Archimedes is credited with having invented an ancient sort of super weapon that was used to defend Syracuse against the Romans. So it was a different uh, super weapon, they call it sometimes. Uh, do you know what that weapon is? Oh. I bet Void will. He's into his kind of uh, Greek history I stuff. I mean, I'd... I mean, I'd take a guess at something like the ballista or the trebuchet. Um, is it a projectile weapon? Got his name in it. I, I I'm thinking of the kind of thing with uh, the the Greek fire, or was it called the reflections of the sun? Is is do you know the one that I'm uh, thinking of? Am I am I on the right lines, or am I no, going no, up? No, it's, uh, it's not. Uh, it's actually um, uh, naval defense, if you want to say. You know. Yeah, I thought there was a I thing for Greek, Greek fire was an actual chemical substance. All right, I'm getting things mixed up. Own. There was yeah. there was certainly somebody had a super weapon of of burning the opponent's sails by directing reflected sunlight or something, but it's clearly not that. It's not that. Sounds like something Q would have come it's up more with. More mechanical weapon, actually. More mechanical, and it has its name in it. So it's yeah. Archimedes is something. Something, the, yeah. Yeah, the Archimedean something. Uh, Archimedes. I can only think of the Archimedes screw, but that wasn't a weapon. <laughs> no, that was that was <laughs> that lifting was water, isn't it, for irrigation? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I certainly don't know this one. No, this I think it's called I, the claw, the, the Archimedes claw. And mm. it basically, it's like shaped like a claw and it's it's on top of a crane. And apparently, it could actually topple over ships that come and uh, try to attack. So that's the weapon. Oh. That, yeah. <laughs> so when they had that big war, basically, the uh, that's that's was used. Yeah. So was it mounted on one of their ships to attack another ship? No, it was, was on it? the um, in in the mainland, and it would oh. basically there was a huge crane, and on top of the crane there was like a hook, like a subs, uh, you know, uh, a contraption. And so when a ship is coming, the claw will latch on to the ship and then 
toplet over. So, right, so like it was that. on the shore. Yeah, it was on the right. shore. Right. Yeah. So you can invade our waters, but you can't land. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Interesting stuff. Yeah, good one. It's nice that you know when you uh, you know when you have a crossword and you're just looking at the words and then you know you're like uh, looking it up and looking at connections. You just come across so many interesting nuggets of information. I don't think there is anything else that compares to the to the joy of you know finding things like this that uh, you, you never ever have you know bothered to look it up, right? So yeah, it's just that yeah. uh, <laughs> when we look up or when we look for information and then we just come across some chance information like that, always makes me happy to do that. <laughs> right. Do we think it's time to wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, folks. As always, please subscribe if you haven't already done so. Give us a good rating and a gushing review and all that malarkey. There'll be links to our puzzle pages in the show notes as well as our Twitter profiles if you want to contact us where I'm Skirwingle and... And I'm The Void TLMB. And if for some crazy insane reason you're not on Twitter, you can always leave a comment on our blog. General, is there anything you'd like to recommend to the listeners this episode? And uh, may I recommend following at S-O-M-S-R-E-M on Twitter and checking out oneacross.org. They just completed a one-month-long grid fest, and if you're interested in the puzzles, they're going to be out in a new volume of their book, which is called Cryptic Crossroads Volume 3. We'll certainly check those out. Thank you very much. Join us again next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, all. Thank you, listener, for listening to Off Grid. Once again, if you enjoyed it, like Dave said, please give us a rating, a review, a subscription, or if you're on Spotify, give us a follow, because these things make a difference to us. Go on, please. Thank you. Thank you once again to Paul for setting the puzzle we did this week. Thanks to the Trudy for our theme tune. And hello to Iraq and New Zealand, our new countries on our listener map. Welcome, one of them. We'll be back in two weeks, so join us next time. Bye-bye. I'm I'm now imagining... Imagining...